0: Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots podcast with me, Casey. This week has been a pretty exciting one if I do say so myself. First off, I was at Chapters or Indigo or whatever it's called nowadays, here in my hometown of Guelph, where I was signing some books and talking to some fans and met some very interesting people. Nobody mentioned that they listened to the podcast though, which is a little disappointing, but you know, it's a town of about 100,000 people, it's very unlikely that somebody would actually be a listener from this town nevertheless it was a good time met some cool people like i said and uh signed a couple of books sold a few and it was a good day also halloween was this past weekend so i hope you guys had a very very happy halloween hope it was nice and spooky and i hope you did some adventurous stuff you know maybe some ghost hunting or some cryptid hunting or you know maybe did a little bit of a witchcraft spell something along those lines something fun something for the season something festive if you will because festivities isn't just for christmas And lastly, this coming weekend, as in tomorrow after this podcast goes up, on the 3rd of November, I will be at Horrorama in Toronto. It's an all-horror festival. It's taking place on Bathurst Street, which I'm pretty sure is pretty close to the Annex in Toronto. So if you are from Toronto and you're a listener, or if you're going to be traveling and you happen to be going to this event, swing by the booth. I will be there. I'll be selling some prints. I'll be talking to people. I will be recording a podcast live on location. Not so much live. I don't think it has Wi-Fi, but if it does, maybe I'll try to find a way to broadcast it. Maybe YouTube. Maybe I'll uh, throw it on YouTube live. Maybe. We'll see. Regardless, I will be there. And I would love to see some of you there. Swing by for a chat, get on the podcast, because I will be interviewing anybody who wants to be interviewed, which is always fun. So today's podcast, anyway, is going to be fairly short, because the next one could be a couple hours long, for all I know. So I'm going to talk about something that I've always found fairly interesting. Everybody kind of knows what they look like. Maybe not everybody knows what they did. So that's what I'm going to go into today when I talk about the plague doctor. Now, a plague doctor was a medical physician who treated victims of the bubonic plague in times of epidemics. Such physicians were specifically hired by towns where the plague had taken hold. Since the city was paying their salary, they treated everyone, both the wealthy and the poor. However, some plague doctors were known to charge patients and their families additional fees for special treatments and or false cures. Typically, they were not professionally trained nor experienced physicians or surgeons, but rather they were often second-rate doctors unable to otherwise run a successful medical practice or young physicians seeking to establish themselves. These doctors were rarely curing their patients. Rather, they served to record a count of the number of people contaminated for demographic purposes. Plague doctors by their covenant treated plague victims and were known as municipal or community plague doctors, whereas general practitioners were separate doctors and both might be in the same European city or town at the same time. In France and the Netherlands, plague doctors often lacked medical training and were referred to as empirics. In one case, a plague doctor had been a fruit salesman before his employment as a physician. In the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, some doctors wore beak-like masks, the one pretty much everybody is familiar with and associates with a plague doctor. The masks in question were filled with aromatic items to help with the smell of death and decay, obviously. The masks were designed to protect them from the putrid air, which was seen as a cause of the infection. The design of these costumes have been attributed to Charles de Lomme, the chief physician, to Louis XIII, and the history of the plague, Doctor, is a very interesting one. The first European epidemic of the bubonic plague dates back to the mid-6th century and is called the Plague of Justinian. The largest number of people affected by the epidemic were the people who had the Black Death in Europe in the 14th century. In medieval times, the large loss of people due to the bubonic plague in a town created an economic disaster. Community plague doctors were quite valuable and were given special privileges. For example, plague doctors were freely allowed to perform autopsies, which were otherwise generally forbidden in medieval Europe. And they did this to, obviously, research for a cure. In some cases, plague doctors were so valuable that when Barcelona dispatched two to Tortosa in 1650, outlaws captured them en route and demanded a ransom. The city of Barcelona paid their fee. For the release. The city of Orvitio hired Matteo Fuangelo in 1348 for four times his normal rate of a doctor, which was about 50 Florian per year. Pope Clement VI hired several extra plague doctors during the Black Death, and they were to attend the sick people of Avignon. Of 18 doctors in Venice, only one was left by 1348. Five had died of the plague itself, and 12 were missing and may have fled. Now let's talk about the one thing everybody absolutely wants to know about, and that's the costume. The clothing worn by plague doctors was intended to protect them from airborne diseases. The costume, used in France and Italy in the 17th century, consisted of an ankle-length overcoat and a bird-like beak mask, often filled with sweet or strong-smelling substances, commonly lavender, The outfit also included gloves, boots, a wide-brimmed hat, and an outer-over clothing garment. The mask itself, which is probably the most iconic piece of the Plague Doctor outfit, had glass openings in the eyes and a curved, beak-like shape, similar to that of a bird, with straps that held the beak in front of the doctor's nose. The mask had two small nose holes and was a type of respirator which contained aromatic items, as I previously mentioned. The beak could hold dried flowers, including roses and carnations, herbs, including mint, spices, camphor, or vinegar sponge. The purpose of the mask was to keep away the bad smells known as miasma, which were thought to be the principal cause of the disease before it was disproved by germ theory. Doctors believed the herbs would counter the evil smells of the plague and prevent them from becoming ill. This Beak doctor costume worn by plague doctors had a wide-brimmed leather hat to indicate their profession. It was sort of a badge, if you will. They used wooden canes in order to point out areas needing attention and to examine patients without touching them. The canes were also used to keep people away when they would get mobbed for attention, for cures, or treatment. And they would also use it to remove clothing from plague victims without having to touch them as well. And they attempted to use it to take somebody's pulse. However, that doesn't entirely work as a personal trainer, I can tell you. That is not a thing. You can't tell somebody's paws by touching it with a stick. I mean, you might be able to see the skin move if they're very, very, very thin, and even then, it probably wouldn't work. Anywho, back to the plague doctor. Medical historians have attributed the invention of the beak doctor costume to Charles Delorme, as previously mentioned, who adopted it in 1619. The idea of a full head-to-toe protective garment modeled after a soldier's armor, was of utmost importance to fight the plague. This, of course, consisted of the bird-like mask with spectacles and a long leather Moroccan or Levantine, or waxed canvas gown which went from the neck to the ankle. The overclothing garment, as well as the leg, gloves, boots, and a hat were made of waxed leather. The garment was impregnated with similar fragment items as the beak mask had. Lorm wrote that the mask had a nose half a foot long, shaped like a beak, filled with perfume, and only two holes, one on each side near the nostrils, but that can suffice to breathe and to carry with the air one breathes the impression of the drugs, enclosed further along the beak. That is old-timey English, and it's very difficult to understand because their sentence structure was a little bit different than ours is now. The Genovese physician Jean-Jacques Magnet, in his 1721 work, Treatise on the Plague, written just after the Great Plague of Marseille, describes the costume worn by plague doctors at Nijmegen in 1637 and 1636, the costume forms the front piece of Magnet's 1721 work. The plague doctors of Nijmegen also wore beaked masks. Their robes, leggings, hats, and gloves were made of Morocco leather. The costume was also worn by plague doctors during the Plague of 1656, which killed 145,000 people in Rome and 300,000 people in Naples. The costume terrified people because if one saw it, it was a sign of imminent death. Plague doctors wore these protective garments in accordance with their agreements when they attended their plagued patients. One last note on the plague doctor costume. It is also associated with a commedia dell'arte character called Medico del Peste, or the Plague Doctor, who wears distinctive Plague Doctor's masks. The Venetian mask was formerly white, consisting of a hollow beak and round eye-hole covers, with clear glass, and is one of the distinctive masks worn during the Carnival of Venice. Now, the plague doctor served as a public servant during times of epidemics, starting with the Black Death in Europe in the 14th century. The principal task, besides taking care of people with the plague, was to record in public records the deaths due to the plague. In certain European cities like Florence and Parogia, plague doctors were requested to do autopsies to help determine the cause of death and how the plague played a role. Plague doctors became witnesses to numerous wills during times of plague epidemics as well. The plague doctor also gave advice to their patients about their condition before death. This advice varied depending on the patient, and after the Middle Ages, the nature of the relationship between doctor and patient was governed by an increasingly complex ethical code. Plague doctors had a very strange method of their practice, which included bloodletting and other remedies, such as putting frogs or leeches on the boo-boos or, rebalance the humors, as a normal routine. Plague doctors could not generally interact with the general public because of the nature of their business and the possibility of spreading the disease. They, too, could also be subjected to quarantine. Now, there aren't too many famous plague doctors from history, but I will go over at least one here. A famous plague doctor who gave medical advice about preventative measures which could be used against the plague was none other than Nostradamus. Nostradamus's advice was the removal of the infected corpses, getting fresh air, drinking clean water, and drinking a juice preparation of rose hips. In Trait de Ferdiments, it shows in Part A, Chapter 8, that Nostradamus is also recommended not to bleed the patient. The Italian city of Pavia in 1479 contracted Giovanni de Ventura as a community plague doctor. The Irish physician Neil O'Glassian earned deep respect in Spain and in Italy for his bravery in treating numerous people with the plague. Now, I know that wasn't a very in-depth look at the plague doctor, but it covered everything relevant to what they did, who they were, and what they practiced, and most importantly, what they looked like. Is one of my favorite all time costumes or uniforms in history and history of horror especially. And it just still very much fascinates me what they did, how they did it, and how it would never happen today. Unless it was some sort of dystopian future where plague ran wild and you know, all sort of order fell apart and chaos reigned. I could see that sort of happening. But other than some sort of Mad Max future. I think we're just going to have to live with regular old general practitioners, surgeons, and emergency doctors. And in case you haven't noticed, that is going to bring us to the end of the cast. Like I said, it's going to be a little bit of a short one today, just because I'm prepping for tomorrow, which would be Horrorama. i got to get all my stuff together, do some last-minute detailing, and all that sort of fun stuff. Once again, I'll be at the Horrorama convention in Toronto on November 3rd and 4th. So swing by. Say hi. Take a selfie. If that's your thing. Probably not. Nobody really relevant or cool actually takes a selfie. I don't have a hundred of them on my phone. No. Right. Other than that, if you do want to contact me, you can hit me up at horrorshots.com under the contact section or on Twitter at horrorshotspod or Instagram at horrorshotsphotography. Until then, I hope to speak with a couple of you, at least a couple of you, on the weekend... And you can look forward to, hopefully, a very interesting cast in the coming days, early next week, sometime. And then we'll get back to a regular scheduled podcast where I feature some... thing. And what that thing is will be a secret until, of course, the episode is released. So until next time.